Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello, everyone. How are we? I'm going to do my best not to rustle the things on my bed this week, like my sheets, so that you can't hear them. But, you know, this is a this is a real amateur situation that I've got going on. How are we? Are we good? I am okay. I'm okay. You know, my county's stay-at-home order was extended till June 4th. I kind of have a feeling it will open back up after that. There's been a lot of pushback, so I'm guessing eventually the governor's going to have to start opening back up. I have no idea what that means, sir. My job and going back to work. I really want to go to the shore, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it's just I'm starting to feel a little despondent, I guess. I did order some tie-dye stuff. As most of my listeners know, last summer I was very, very into tie-dye. I am going to start tie-dyeing again. However, I'm probably not going to be selling it this year, at least not now because it's annoying to do anything. <laughs> no, last year it's just uh, really easy to mail stuff out of my office. Like it's just easy to have that set up. There is like outside of my office, there's a blue box, you know, like a blue mailing box and I can use all of like the shipping supplies and stuff there. So it was really easy to mail and it's not so easy to mail where I am now. I don't even know where there's a blue box close to me. So yeah, I am going to be tie-dyeing again. I might sell some limited pieces, but I'm still not sure. But beyond that, you know, things are okay. Nothing's really going on in Teen Mom land. Everybody is just keeping their heads down during quarantine, I guess. <laughs> There's not much to talk about. There's just not that much to talk about. This is a very slow episode this week. So I think this is going to be a short episode. I'm going to get a guest for this coming week because I definitely want... I haven't had a guest on Feathers in My Hair in so long. I'll be honest, I've had so many guests for my Patreon, my patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. I do almost all of those episodes with guests that I just haven't been scheduling guests for Feathers in My Hair, and I definitely want to change that. I haven't had a guest on in a very long time, and... You know, I want to be able to talk to people again. I miss talking to people. <laughs> I miss having conversations. <laughs> and obviously a guest episode is always much longer than a solo episode. So yeah, I hope I can get a guest on next week. I hope I can have time to schedule a guest. And that will be very exciting. But not much else is going on in Team Mom World. You know, Janelle and David. Janelle and David did, Janelle did some interview with somebody this week. I couldn't really track. The annoying thing was, so on the Teen Mom Reddit, they don't let you post the usernames of people who are not on the show, even sometimes when it's a public figure. So I couldn't figure out, like, who exactly this person was. But Janelle was interviewed by someone on Instagram who claims to be, I guess, an activist and an LGBTQ ally. And I believe she's a black woman and she of course got flooded with hate like why are you giving platforms to this extremely racist homophobic awful animal killing awful person she flipped out the host and was like I'm not giving them a platform to spew hate and it's like well you are giving them a platform <laughs> like that that's literally what you you're doing you're using when you have someone on your show you're giving them a platform <laughs> 
that's that's your Instagram that has quite a few followers is your platform. And when you invite people on to talk about COVID, I don't know. I didn't watch the interview because, like I said, I couldn't figure out who the interview was with based just on the Reddit posts. And I, like, looked on Twitter for one second to see if I could find it, and I couldn't, so I didn't. I have been watching some of Farrah's TikToks. I know a lot of people have wanted me to talk about Janelle's TikToks on this podcast, but there's nothing really to talk about with Janelle's TikToks. Like, people are like, oh my god, you need to talk about Janelle's TikToks. And I'm like, what's there to talk about? They don't have any substance to them. It's just Janelle dancing. Do you want me to talk about the fact that Janelle's gained 40 pounds? Like, okay, Janelle's gained 40 pounds and she still dares to, to wear clothes and dance. I know, I know. Someone who's gained weight still dares to get on camera. It's crazy, guys. It's crazy. Everyone knows she should lock herself in her house and do drugs until she's thin enough to be presentable. I, I, there's just nothing to talk like. Are Janelle's TikToks embarrassing? Yeah, but almost all TikToks are embarrassing. She's just doing TikTok dances. I don't know. I think it's because I watch a lot of TikToks. So when I see Janelle's, I'm like, okay, they're not that cringy to me. Like, of course, they're cringy because she's not a good dancer. And, but they're not, like, in the context of TikTok, they're not that cringy to me. And there's nothing to talk about. Janelle dances. Janelle does TikTok dances. Who has an actual, actually interesting TikTok that I like to watch and post. If you'll, if you follow my feathers underscore pod, you'll see that I almost never post Janelle's TikToks either. Because like I said, there's just, I think the reason that people, like, to laugh at Janelle's TikToks is because they like to laugh at the fact that she's gotten fat. And like for me that that doesn't do anything for me. There's nothing to discuss with it. There's no humor there. It's just bad dancing videos. Farah's on the other hand are really incredible and I do like to repost them. Not all the time. You know, I don't want my page my feathers underscore pod Instagram account to be flooded with one thing, right? Like I don't think that I don't think that's that's the way that I want my grid to be, to just be, like, only reposting Ferris TikToks. But occasionally, I'll see one that really piques my interest, and I have to repost them. Like, this week, she posted about <laughs> her stimulus check and what they were going to spend it on, and I swear to God, she says pills. She's like, groceries! And then... I, I guess she's trying to say or does say bills, but it absolutely to me, and I listened to this 500 times to see if I was being crazy. It sounds like she says she's going to spend it on pills. Now, a lot of people said, why did Fair get it? How does Fair qualify for a check? Here's the thing. I am 99% sure that Fair did get a check because in it, she said, how are we going to spend the $1,700 that we got from President Trump? Remember, Fair loves Trump. And the reason that I think that she definitely got this check is because I think that if she didn't get the check, if she made too much money to qualify for the check, she would have said $1,200 because that's like the amount, right? Like when when you think about the stimulus and when you think about what the stimulus is, you think $1,200, $1,200, $1,200. That's what we see on all the news, $1,200, $1,200. Now, if you didn't know this, I'm sure most people did, but if you didn't know this, if you have, you get $500 for each child that you have. So Farah would get $1,700. And I really think that if Farah didn't get this check, she wouldn't have realized that she would have been, el- like, if Farah didn't get a check, I think she would have said, like, 
what are how are we going to spend the twelve hundred dollars that President Trump gave us? She wouldn't be saying like, how are we going to spend the seventeen hundred dollars? It's just a a very specific number that I think that Farah is obviously referencing the amount that she got. Now, how do you qualify for the stimulus check as a single person? Farah, she's a single household. She would have to make under seventy five thousand dollars a year. Does Farah make under? I think that's right. It's under. I looked it up because I. <laughs> I knew no matter what I was going to be qualifying for this stimulus check. Like, I knew no matter what the threshold was, I didn't make more than that. So I never looked exactly how much it was, but I do believe that it's 75000 And I think that Farah makes under $75,000 a year. I, I'm kind of surprised people think that she makes more. It, you know, I'm kind of surprised that people think that Farah made more in 2019 than $75,000. Like, Farah, I don't think is making a lot of money. Farah's not on OnlyFans for some reason. I think she could probably be doing very well on OnlyFans. I'm kind of surprised she's not on OnlyFans. So she's not making money that way. She wasn't on any shows, I don't think, in 2019. I'm sure she makes, like, you know, like a decent amount of money doing whatever she does, but I doubt she was making on book anything over $75,000. I would also imagine that the majority of Farah's income comes in a a non-taxable income. (laughs) And by that, I mean not just being paid like cash for sex work that she's not declaring, but I would imagine that a lot of her, like, I would imagine a lot of her life is paid for by men and it's not necessarily like she's getting handed like if you show up to Dubai I will give you x amount of dollars I I'm sure she does do that sometimes but I would imagine a majority of these trips are I will fly you and your daughter first class to Dubai I will pay for you to stay up in this hotel when you get here I will pay for your whole vacation vacation And everything that you do while you're here, I'll pay for it. I will pay for you to go on a shopping spree. And then I think, so I think that's what it is. Or like a man will pay for her car lease or a man will like pay, give her like a really expensive clothes or bags or things that she can sell. So I think it's less, I would imagine her money is made less in like a, here's straight cash that I'm giving you because cash is kind of shady and if you're making a lot of cash it takes kind of a lot of work to launder money (laughs) to clean that money so that it can be put in your bank account um if you watch early seasons weeds they talk a lot about this in a funny way when nancy botwin realizes she has all this fucking cash but she can't do anything with it because it's illegal cash and she needs this money to pay the bills but can't pay the bills with that money because then the government will be curious about where she's getting money from. So I think for someone like Farah, the cat, like the money that she's making looks a lot more like people kind of paying for her lifestyle and paying for her life and maybe a guy gives her a credit card so she can buy all of her groceries and all of her meals out and all of that stuff on his card And then her over-the-table income is, like, just enough to kind of pay for her shit. And maybe somebody's paying her rent. And I don't know. I just don't think that Farah, cash on hand, has that much money. I don't think that Farah, through legal taxable income streams, makes that much money in 2019. 
like I said, she was not doing a lot of shows. She wasn't doing a lot of club appearances that I saw. It seems like a lot of yacht girl work, which is a little less upfront than just getting cash. So I do believe that Farrah would absolutely qualify for a for a stimulus check in that $1,700. So is it just me or did really nothing happen in this week's Teen Mom OG episode? My notes, usually I get about four full pages of notes and I got three pages with maybe like three bullet points on the fourth page. I feel like usually at least one person is do you know, is doing the work, but nobody really had anything interesting going on this week. I also wonder, when did this season start? How many more episodes are left on this season? Where are we in time? Where am I? (laughs) I feel like we're probably rounding the corner on the end of the OG season. And then there's not going to be a fucking reunion, probably. I mean, I guess maybe they'll do a virtual reunion like Bravo's doing. But what's the point of doing a a Teen Mom virtual reunion, especially... When they want us to think, like, the only point of reunions now is to have drama. <laughs> really, I feel like the only point of reunions for Teen Mom now is to have drama between the, the cast members. So I'm not sure what the point of a virtual reunion would be. I'm really not interested in it. <sighs> I just remember that Teen Mom Young and Pregnant is most likely canceled. That's so sad. That's really, that really upsets me. <laughs> and also, like, what are they going to do for Teen Mom 2? I guess I will, um go to bonus, not bonus episodes, I will go to, what am I trying to say? My brain is falling out of my head. (laughs) I can't believe how long quarantine has been going on. Remember when we thought it'd be two weeks? (laughs) Oh God, that's crazy. Uh, I got laid off on like March 17th, I think, or March 18th, and today is May 16th, so that's wild. What was I going to say? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen with Team Mom 2. I don't know if they are filming in their own homes by themselves and they'll be able to cobble together a couple episodes. I don't know if they'll just push it off. I think we're about to get into a real content slump when it comes to reality television. I wonder even if Teen Mom will make it out of coronavirus alive. I think a lot of shows are going to be on the chopping block. I think I've talked about this, but... To me, this gives me big, like, writer strike energy. If you guys will remember, the writer's strike in 2007-ish, I think it was, and no new TV was written for, what, like, five months? A significant amount of time, and a lot of shows just, like, never made it, or they made it another season, but it really just fucked up their show. I believe NBC's Heroes, which is not a show I ever watched because, as a rule, I don't care about things like that. But I do remember NBC's Heroes always kind of being cited as a victim of the writer's strike, that they had, like, a ton of momentum going on. Everybody loved it. And then when it came back, it just, like, was never able to get that momentum back. And I do think that there are going to be shows that once COVID is over and they can, which, once COVID is over, what the fuck does that mean? I don't know. But if we're pretending that COVID will ever end and that there will be life after COVID-19, which I'm not convinced of right now, but if that is the case and if that happens, I personally believe that there are going to be many shows, reality and scripted, 
that just don't ever come back because the executives are going to look at the numbers. They are probably losing a ton of money right now in ad. If they're not able to start new seasons of shows, that means they're not going to be getting the same amount of ad revenue because they're going to be running reruns, which I would imagine does not warrant the same rates for commercials as a new show does. And they are going to be cutting budgets just like every other industry in the world. And I would imagine that these execs are going to be looking at what shows are worth it and what shows are not and what shows they want to bring back and what shows they don't. And I would not be shocked if Teen Mom doesn't make it past COVID. I would not be shocked if, like, a lot of these, like, one-off Bravo shows don't make it past COVID. Like, there's definitely going to be some victims of this. And I'll be very interested to see if Teen Mom survives. I will say one thing that probably I'm... Team Mom has going for it is that MTV is a struggling network. You know, like what does MTV have to offer us? And Teen Mom still is probably very cheap to produce. They pay these women very little compared to like what they make. So maybe Teen Mom will survive. I don't know. If this happens and if there is a long lag between Teen Mom OG and Teen Mom 2, which, you know, lately we've been going back to back to back, but I'm guessing that will not be happening now. I think my plan will be to start with Teen Mom 2 Season 1, Episode 1, and go from there. Although I think I've done Teen Mom 2 Season 1, Episode 1, so I'll have to look into that. I'm pretty sure I have, and maybe start with Episode 2. And, I mean, I know I've done random throwback episodes here and there, but I think that will be the way that I do this show, is to just start with a different show, (laughs) or... Basically, to start with the throwback episodes, I didn't start this show until 2017, and Teen Mom 2 premiered, I think, in 2011 or 2010, so there is a lot of content that I have never covered that I could definitely cover, and if Teen Mom gets totally canceled, I don't know, maybe I'll move feathers in my hair to being something different. We'll see, but I definitely am thinking, like, what what's next for Teen Mom in the world of coronavirus, and I'm not sure. Like, I'm just not sure if they are going to want to keep the show on air. And I'm not sure what it will look like for a reunion. And I'm not sure when Teen Mom 2 will be back or if it will be back. So we'll see. But let's get into this week's episode right after a quick break. I guess we can start with Macy. (laughs) I don't mean to sound so down about this episode, but it was just not good and there's just not that much to talk about I hate I hate putting on an episode that I don't feel like there's a lot to talk about and I don't feel like thrilled and excited to be talking about Teen Mom not that I'm thrilled and excited every single week I don't mean it like that but I really hate when I am recording an episode and I feel like oh this is gonna be 40 minutes I have nothing to discuss <laughs> I wish it wasn't like this but I blame MTV <laughs> so basically what all that happens in Macy's episode is that baby Stella is born we get a scene of Ryan and Macy Ryan and Mackenzie talking about Stella being born and here's the thing like Ryan is so high and I think I don't know it's so it's hard to tell he seems so high to me but he also weirdly seems talkative and alert so I wonder if he like mixed up some stuff so that he's a little more alert than he usually was but his demeanor and the way his voice sounds sounds very high to me 
But also, I'm like, what do I have this to compare with? But, like, there's a scene where they're talking about the baby being born, and he's kind of, like, leaning over the crib to look at Stella, who's a cute little baby. And I was like, I really hope he doesn't, like, nod out and fall into the crib. (laughs) It's not that he's slurring. Like, he's not slurring like he used to, but... It's kind of hard to explain. Leah used to really do this a lot. When I feel like somebody is actively, has to like actively motivate themselves to speak is kind of a giveaway. Like when you can tell somebody is thinking out what they're going to say before every thought, they're not, the thing is like most humans just, most, not all, but most humans just like naturally speak. Like you're having a conversation and you are just able to use words. And when people are high and trying not to act high, I've noticed they do this thing where you can kind of see them in their head calculating what they're going to say. <laughs> it's it's hard to explain what I'm trying to describe, but once you understand what I'm saying or if you are somebody that has experienced like having been in this position then you know what I mean where I feel like I can see in Ryan's eyes him calculating the words before they come out of his mouth in a very bizarre way that most humans just don't do when they're talking about non-important things. Like I understand if you're giving a presentation or you really want to be clear with your words or you're like trying not to flip out so you're like keeping yourself calm and thinking about what you're going to say. But when you're just having like a normal conversation about the birth of your baby And it seems like you really have to think out each word that you're going to use. It's just bizarre to watch. It's really weird to watch. And that's how I feel about Ryan. He's very weird to watch. He's like, well, yeah, when Stella was born, it's just weird. Um, But I will say, like, he does seem pretty happy, (laughs) at least. And I know we don't really... The weird thing is that we actually don't really know almost anything about Mackenzie and Ryan's life. They're very offline, I would say. Like, the two of them are very offline, and we really don't get any peeks into their life on the show outside of, like, here's us with the kids or here's us talking about Macy because, obviously, they're not the stars of the show. That's not their role on the show. So... I don't really, it's hard for me to get a read on Mackenzie and Ryan because I feel like we don't spend enough time on them to get a read on them, but they seem happy-ish and stable right now, which is good and I'm glad for them. I know everybody hates Mackenzie and you guys all know I've always been kind of a Mac apologist and Mackenzie's empathizer and I've always kind of felt for her and I do feel for her and I do think that Mackenzie's making really really bad choices that she will truly regret for the rest of her life like she has two kids with this idiot now like she's strapped to this man for life and I do think in 10 years she'll look back and be like what the fuck was I thinking but I do understand why she's so hard to root for in the present but they seem happyish, and I want them to be happy, and I don't know why I'm rooting for them, because I don't think Ryan is a very good person. <laughs> I'm not particularly a Ryan fan, and I also, like, I don't think Mackenzie's really a good person. I just think she is really stubborn and making a lot of choices that she's going to regret later in life, and I can understand, I can relate to that feeling, I guess is what I'm saying. And so I definitely feel for her, but Ryan just seems... I don't know. They seem like they're in a stable place. They seem like they're in a happy place. But at the same time, like, how would we know? 
how could we possibly know that? We really don't know anything about their life. We don't know what their marriage looks like at all. We have no idea how much they fight. We have no idea what they're like when they're just at home together. It's very hard for me to get a read on them at all. At all. I know Jen is thrilled to have a granddaughter, and I am happy for her with that. I'm sure they feel like, what the fuck are Ryan and Mackenzie doing? But at the same time, I think that Jen and Larry very much are like every baby is a blessing type of people. And here's the thing. I I have a lot of respect for every baby is a blessing people. I have, throughout my life, met a lot of people who come from, like, Christian backgrounds and their parents, you know, are so anti-abortion. But then at the same time, like, when they get pregnant out of wedlock or in a bad situation, their family is so mad about it and treats them like shit. And I'm like, yeah, but I thought every baby was a blessing. So I have a lot of respect for Jen and Larry who seem to be able to take their feelings and emotions out of what they think is best and kind of just accept like, this is what's going on. We have literally no control over the situation. We can either be mad at Ryan and Mackenzie for making an irresponsible decision or we can just accept that this is what it is and love this baby. And Jen has her first granddaughter out of, this is her, well, including Hudson, which I they definitely do, including Hudson. This is her fourth, right? Can I do math? three, four. Her fourth grandkid and her first girl, and I'm really happy for her. Cute little Jen is like, this is my only girl. She's gonna be a princess. And Ryan was joking that she'll be a grease monkey. There's a cute little scene where the family's talking about what Stella will be like. And Ryan's like, she's gonna be a grease monkey. Her first card's gonna be a Camaro. And Larry's like, who's Camaro? And Ryan's like, your Camaro. I thought that was funny. Everybody seemed happy. There was this kind of weird moment where Ryan was like, well, she just sleeps a lot. And Mackenzie was like, not really. I'm guessing that Ryan is not hands-on. He's not doing any of the work in raising the baby. Jagger is adjusting a little. I kind of forgot, like, how little Jagger was. I think they're less than 18 months apart. Like, I think they're very close in age. Jagger is a real baby. He's a little baby who looks exactly like Larry in the funniest way that I've ever seen. When Larry was holding Jagger, I was cracking up. I was like, that baby looks like an old man and he looks just like the old man that's holding him. By the way, Jagger is such a bad name. I hate the name Jagger. Jagger, like, gives me chills down my spine how much I hate it. I don't know why. I find it to be such a bad name. I'm trying to imagine like an adult going on a job interview and being like, hi, I'm Jagger. (laughs) It's such a silly name. It's just silly. It's very silly. Mackenzie looks exhausted, but I thought actually looked very pretty. Her hair, that brown is really nice. The long brown hair is really doing her favors. And I like to see, I will say something that I will always commend Macy on and always really give Macy props and credit for is that Macy and Taylor are very accepting, very accepting of, um, very accepting of Bentley and his siblings and very much treat Bentley like those are his real siblings, unlike some of the other people that we've seen on this show. I loved Bentley came home from meeting Stella because he was with Jen and Larry when Mackenzie had the baby, so he got to be there at the hospital, and it was a really special moment for him. And I love the way that Macy and Taylor talked to him about Stella, and they're like, you have so many siblings now. Is she so cute? Asking her questions. It definitely, you know, when it was Bentley's birthday, Macy was like, I want to make sure all his siblings are there. Macy always seems really nice to Hudson. I never hear them say, like, Bentley's stepbrother. They are always talking about Hudson and Jagger and Stella. And I just think it's really nice that Macy 
definitely, like, the way that they talk to Bentley definitely seems to me like they make an effort to let Bentley know that, like, these are all of your siblings and that you should love all your siblings the same and that you have uh, Maverick and Jade at this house and you have uh, Hudson, Jagger, and Stella at this house, but they're all the same family and you may not be with those other ones as much, but I don't know. I just think it's nice. I think compared to maybe a (coughs) Chelsea Um, They do a very good job of talking to Bentley a lot about his siblings and really not making it like an us-versus-them family situation. And I think that's commendable. I mean, it's kind of bare minimum in some ways, but we see the teen moms do less than bare minimum all the time. (laughs) All the time we see the teen moms doing less than bare minimum. So when they do it, I like to give them a little golf clap for it. And that's really all that's going on with Macy. Also, like, I really hope we don't have any more storylines about Bentley going to private school because that's not something I'm interested in at all. (laughs) I guess next week they're going to talk to Bentley about sex, which is good. (laughs) But embarrassing. Embarrassing to have that on the show. Okay, let's talk about Cheyenne, who I really felt for Cheyenne this episode. I really like, I've always said I really like Cheyenne's family. I like Cheyenne a lot. I just don't really feel like she fits into this show that well but I do really I really this scene this episode made me really feel for her because as we know Ryder has v-clad which I am still not 100% sure what it is but it has something to do with her the way that she metabolizes food so when she gets sick and has a fever and can't keep food down there is a real issue that she I think China said that she can have seizures And that is scary. And in this episode, poor little Ryder is sick. She's throwing up. So every time, basically every time Ryder has a fever, she has to go to the hospital, which is like, I mean, that's a lot. That's hard. And poor little Ryder is admitted. And the big kind of drama of this episode is if we should tell Corey or not. Now, in the past, Cheyenne has been very outspoken that Corey is not as involved in, like, the medical aspect of riders he should be. And I think some of the criticism is fair and some of it is not. Because some of the criticism comes from the fact that he was not in Ryder's life for the first six months of her life when they were in and out of the hospital trying to figure out why this poor little baby was so sick. And remember, they really only found out that Corey was her dad because they were doing, like, extensive genetic testing. And Corey wasn't in her life because Corey didn't know that he was Ryder's father. So that's not really on him. And there's nothing they can do to get that time back. Like, they can't go back in time. So I think in some ways, Cheyenne has a resentment against Corey that is totally unfair and hopefully will go away one day. But Corey, Cheyenne has always been like, Corey just doesn't understand because he wasn't there to see Ryder almost die when she was a baby. And I can really see where Cheyenne is coming from with that. I really understand that feeling of, like, you don't get it. Like, you did not see how awful this was. So, like, you cannot understand the way that I'm feeling. But, like I said, like, that's not on Corey. He wasn't doing that by choice. And then, of course, there was the time, I guess, last season where he was in Mexico with Taylor. Ryder went into the hospital and Corey wasn't responding as fast as Cheyenne wanted him to. And this all goes back to, like I said, the first six months of Ryder's life when she was very sick and Corey was not there because he didn't know he was Ryder's father. And I think a lot of Cheyenne's resentment for Corey not getting the medical issue stuff will just always go back to the fact that 
I think Cheyenne's mad at herself for not being honest with Corey that he could potentially be the child's father. Like I said, I'm still pretty unclear about the first, about Cheyenne's pregnancy in the first six months of Ryder's life. I'm a little unclear about it all, but I would imagine in her heart, Cheyenne kind of wishes that she had known that, not kind of, I'm sure she does. She had known that Corey was the father because he is a good father to Ryder and I'm sure to the new baby and that she wishes he had been there through the pregnancy and he had been there through her early life and that he could really see and been like a full co-parent or even a romantic partner at that point in her life. So I, I do get that, but at the same time, it's like you can't be mad at Corey for something that's so out of his control, but it's scary. I get where Cheyenne is coming from. And in this episode, she decides not to call Corey to tell him about what's going on with Ryder. Now, I saw her get a lot of heat online. Uh, she actually tweeted out, like, Teen Mom fans are fucking annoying or something like that, which is so true, and it made me laugh. <laughs> because she was getting a lot of heat. She was saying that she just does this for attention, having Ryder in the hospital, which is crazy. Like, Ryder has a serious genetic condition. And they were saying, like, you're just a hypocrite because when uh, when Corey would like, before, you were so mad that Corey wasn't there, and now you're not going to tell him. But here's the thing, like... Corey wasn't on vacation this time. I can understand that when, especially, like, soon after you two stopped having sex, like, I do think maybe Cheyenne went a little too hard on Corey when he was in Mexico and wasn't reacting fast enough and didn't get back fast enough. I can agree with that, but I don't think it's fair to compare that situation with what we just saw happen in this episode because Corey wasn't on vacation. He was on the challenge, which is his job, potentially winning a million dollars and making a really big sacrifice to be there. They said he went for two months. Remember, he has a pregnant girlfriend. He has like worked really hard in the last year and a half to really establish this routine and being a full-time co-parent and father to Ryder. And then he has to step away from that. And I can understand why Cheyenne made the choice not to call Corey. She says specifically, like, I spoke to the doctors and the doctor said, like, I don't need to tell Corey. Basically, I'm assuming what she said is like, is this something that's under control? Do you think, is this something that, or is this really serious? And should I call her dad? And does her dad need to be here? Like, is this a life threatening situation? And I'm assuming the doctor told her no. And so she decided not to tell him. And do I think it's the right call? Probably. I don't know because I'm not Cheyenne. I'm not in Cheyenne's shoes. And I also have never had any children, let alone a medically fragile child. So it's hard for me to be like, Cheyenne absolutely made the right choice here. And also we haven't heard from Corey that I know of. I haven't seen online at least heard from Corey if he was upset that she told him or not. But I don't think not calling him makes her hypocritical because I, I, if Corey was just on another vacation, like I'm sure she would have called Corey immediately. If Corey was at home, like Corey would have been in the hospital with them. I get not wanting to tell him because he that would mean he either has to leave the challenge immediately and give up all the money that he is um, fighting for and possibly, I don't know, like, I know they get paid appearance fees to be on the challenge, but I wonder if they leave by their own admission early, like, if they have to give up that appearance fee. Basically, like, money is on the line here, and I do understand that. Or he stays and it just, like, gets into his head and messes with his game. Now, I'm not really a challenge head, so I don't, I don't know, like, how real that is, but I, I do know they compete, and it's like, I get why she doesn't want to get into his head, and I don't know, I, I personally think that she made the right choice, and it's an understandable choice, and I don't think the choice she made in this episode should 
like be compared at all to her being mad when Corey was in Mexico and not with Ryder when Ryder was sick then. I just think it's two totally separate uh, situations. And I also understand, like, if I'm Cheyenne and I'm sitting here and I'm like, Corey has made a really big sacrifice. We've all made a big sacrifice. Like, all of them. Taylor, Cheyenne, Ryder, and Corey. And even Cheyenne's family probably have made a big sacrifice, like, supporting Corey to do this. And she is not in a life... It's not a life-threatening condition. She's just sick and this is really hard emotionally So I'm not going to ask Corey to now step away from that major sacrifice that we all made in the hopes that he wins a million dollars. Once again, if you're a Challenge fan, can you let me know if Corey is still in or not or if he won or, like, what, how much money he won or, I don't know. I, like, looked up spoilers, so I kind of have an idea, but I also don't under, I also don't. (laughs) I was confused reading the spoilers, if that tells you anything. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't understand the challenge. But if you are a challenge head, let me know. Is Corey still on? What's the deal? I guess he comes home in the next episode. But it was sad to watch. I felt bad for Cheyenne. I Like, doing that all alone is really tough. And I really, I really felt for her. I really like Cheyenne. Okay. Let's talk about Caitlin and Tyler. Who, Kate keeps being like, I need to find my career. And I'm like... <laughs> No, when Kate's talking about her career, I'm like, what are you talking about, Kate? Like, you're not fine. I just seems like a silly pretend storyline to me because I don't think Kate actually wants to work. <laughs> Kate's never given me the impression that she wants to work, and so I don't know why we're pretending like she's a a real gal about town looking for a career now. So she's focused on being a mom. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> and Tyler has decided to relaunch his clothing line. Caitlin explains that although they started it together, this has always been Tyler's passion project. So for the sake of their marriage, she just kind of lets him take the rein. Tyler doing this, it's just like, why? It didn't work the first time. So what's the point of doing it a second time? And by didn't work, I mean you weren't able to sustain running it. I'm not sure how successful it was. Maybe they had a ton of sales. And he actually, like, made money off it. But I think the fact is, if you can't sustain running your business the first time you do it, you probably won't be able to sustain running your business the second time you do it. When it's the same exact business and you've made very little changes to it. I think the reality is, is it was too much work for Tyler. He's talking about how he wants to pay to have somebody work for him. And it's like, I don't, can you afford that? Well, first of all. (laughs) First of all, I think tax-wise, we know that he can't afford that. But it's just, I don't mean to sound judgmental, but I feel like it's probably not that much work that Tyler can't, Tyler and with the help of Kate, can't do it on their own. They're not running like a major corporation. And if it is too much work, then what he should do is go in with a business partner and give up con- like complete control of it and have an actual business partner instead of expecting, um, like, to hire an employee and still be able to do it. I don't know. It just feels like, it just feels like it's not, it's not a good choice for him to start this business again, especially we find out that he's going to have to do it on a much, much larger scale. It's like if, if it would have, if you would have been able to do it, you would have already done it the first time, basically. I don't mean to sound like such a Debbie Downer with that, and I know people can fail and then try again, but with the exact same business and the exact same business plan, to me, it just seems like a bad idea. You get, like, a weird scene of 
when Tyler's talking about how he has to hire someone and Kate's like, well, I could do customer service for you. And he was like, no, he's like, I just need someone who's like really dedicated to it. And she's like, well, I can do it. He's like, no, I need someone for 24 <laughs> seven. She's like, well, do, for customer service, like, I think you just need someone to check the emails twice a day. And he was like, basically Tyler was being like, I don't trust you to do it. Like you're too lazy to do it. And Kate, you could tell was upset and kind of shut down the conversation so that he wouldn't embarrass her on camera. But it was yikes, yikes, yikes. <laughs> Like, yikes, yikes, yikes. Tyler's like, you're mom. You have to concentrate on being mom and mom and mom. <laughs> oh, my God. They also find out Tyler goes to meet with the Detroit Sew people. Or I think it's called Detroit Sewn is the company that makes his clothing. It's something that I personally have always at least admired about Tierra Rain is that they do all of the – they make all the stuff in Detroit. I think that's a really great mission. I think, you know, buy local is really great. I am not very ethical in my consumption. It's something that I'm reckoning with. I know it's not great. It's really, it's hard to be an ethical consumer. And I really respect what Tyler is trying to do as opposed to like an Instagram boutique type of thing. He's actually having people in Detroit make these clothes and it's going to make them cost a little more. And he finds out that the pieces that he wants are going to cost like three times the amount that he thought they would. And basically we find out that Tyler only wants to produce like 20 of each item, which is going to make everything cost like triple the amount, which yeah. And he agrees that they're going to do about 200 of each item, which to me seems logical. I feel like, look, I feel like if you're Tyler and Caitlin and you can't sell 200 of each item, like, then you shouldn't be doing this clothing line. Like, I think that 200 seems like a lot, but for if I was doing it. But I sold, I don't know, from tie-dye stuff, I sold, I think, like, 50 pieces of tie-dye last summer. And that was just me, like, fucking around making tie-dye, selling it to my 2,000 followers, if, if that, on my Instagram page. So if you can't have people click through and buy $200 or, or 200 of each item, then, like, what are you even doing having a clothing line? Tyler's like, you know, people tell me I should make it in China, but I want to be able to hold this stuff, and how will I know that children aren't making it? And I think he's right. If he wants this to be, like, totally ethically made, sweatshop-free labor, then he needs to source it where he can see the factory and see what he's doing. But I also just think, once again, it's like, why do you have this clothing line? Like, what are your goals with this? Is this really realistic? Is this a way to make money? I kind of have a feeling that a lot of the money that they owe the IRS possibly relates to this clothing line. I did see someone point out on Reddit that the IRS, it seemed like they kind of stopped paying the IRS once they opened Tierra Rain. But also, like, how long was Tierra Rain open for? I don't know. I just, once again, if it doesn't work the first time, like, maybe pivot to something else. <laughs> maybe just pivot to something else and do something else. The children's clothing line, I mean, I, I think it's a great mission. I think making Detroit, I think an ethically made children's clothing line is a great idea, but I just think that it's not realistic as a brand empire for Tyler like he wants it to be. Okay, let's talk about Amber. Shall we talk about Amber? <sighs> Amber is a fucking idiot. Watching this is like, it. first of all, how dare she go pick a boyfriend that doesn't speak English? So we can, it's not even interesting to watch them on TV. I mean, he speaks better English than I speak in any other language. I assume he pretty much understands fluently, but he doesn't speak it as fl- 
like as fluently, but he definitely understands like what she's saying, but it doesn't make for a very interesting person on camera. He also looks a lot like somebody and somebody pointed me out who he looked like and I was like, oh my God, that's so true. And now I can't remember. So I don't know why I'm even bringing this up. <laughs> I mean, he's cute. He's cutish, but Amber basically thinks that Dimitri has leaked their relationship to the European media or one of his friends or one of his family members. And it's like, Amber, who cares? Here's what drives me fucking insane about Amber. She talks about her relationships and her past relationships like she had no part in them. And the only reason that she has any issues is because of the guys that she chose to date in the past. And I just think that's such a crazy way of like that it's just a crazy mentality to have it's such a crazy way to think it it there's no accountability i mean i'm not surprised it's as i talk about all the time it's her undiagnosed or not undiagnosed untreated mental illness that makes her think this way but she's like well i can't trust anybody because of my trust issues because of the way that men treated me in the past and i'm like well maybe it's because of your untreated by borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder that you're having trust issues <laughs> Just maybe. Just maybe. And so her solution is to have her boyfriend take a lie detector test. Here's the thing. If somebody asked me to take a lie detector test, I would laugh in their face. I would absolutely laugh in their face. I would tell them to get fucked. Honestly. I would say, you can go fuck yourself if somebody asked me to take a lie detector test. I would automatically leave that relationship. I would not be part of that. I don't really care if the reason that you want me to take the lie detector test is because you haven't have had such trust issues in your past relationships. That's that's none of my business and has nothing to do with me, so I won't be a part of it. But I also, full offense to Amber, wouldn't date somebody that has such crazy issues from their past relationships that they haven't dealt with that they would then want me to take a lie detector test to prove that I am a truthful person. No, absolutely, absolutely not would I be participating in that. You can truly go fuck yourself over that. I mean, my answer to that would be like, you need to go to therapy. (laughs) That Amber's issue is not, like, the solution to Amber's issue and not trusting Dimitri is not a lie detector test. It's going to therapy because she gets the lie detector test results and still doesn't trust them because she doesn't trust people because she has issues. It's so crazy to watch. Also, I'm not a lie detector test expert. I know, crazy, as I am an expert in almost all subjects. (laughs) As we all know, lie detector tests are extremely unreliable. There's a reason that you can't use them in court. They're not totally unreliable. There, there are, you know, there definitely are, like, I guess, valid reasons for using lie detector tests. I don't know if that's even the way that I want to say that. I do know in, like, when I was working, working as a victim's advocate and working with, like, probation officers and stuff... I did hear about lie detectors being used in, like, probation cases. Not like you would automatically fail if you failed the lie detector test, but it would, like, help point the probation officer in the right way or, you know, like a police officer during an investigation. It can help rule someone out. So it's not reliable, but it's also not 100% unreliable. But here's my thing, like... Is a lie detector test reliable if this person taking the lie detector test doesn't really speak English? (laughs) Like, does Dimitri even understand the questions that he's being asked? I don't really understand what his level of fluency is. So, like, if I went to France and took a lie detector in France and the person giving me the lie detector was giving it in French and I passed it, like, would that mean anything? (laughs) 
I feel like a language barrier absolutely must affect lie detector results, right? (laughs) Also, like, you have to live in such a crazy world that your first instinct is like, I'll give him a lie detector. (laughs) I can't imagine ever being in a situation, even if I'm in, like, a terrible relationship where I'm calling up the lie detector guy to come help me out with a quick test. Although one of my friend's moms had a friend. This is like such a long way. So my friend Megan, her mom was telling me this story about her friend that works as a lie detector person. And most of, I guess most of her business is from couples. (laughs) And some of it, she was telling me these stories and some of it was really dark. And I was like, yikes, I feel like if it gets to this point, you should just leave. And she was like, I know. And the lie detector lady agreed with that sentiment because she's like, I know that's what my friend says. But lie detectors in relationships seem like the act of a desperate person that doesn't actually want to do anything. You know, like if it gets to the point where you're giving your significant other lie detector tests, I don't think it really matters what the results are going to say because you either trust someone or you don't. You either believe someone or you don't. You either want to be with somebody or you don't. And I think it's very much like when I used to give my ex-boyfriend drug tests and like I wouldn't even believe, like he would pass them, he would not pass them. Like, it didn't, like, the result didn't matter. I felt like I was asserting control over a very uncontrollable situation. And when I say uncontrollable, I mean, like, I made the situation uncontrollable because I was not leaving no matter what. There was actually, the situation was actually quite controlled in that I had all of the power to just be like, we will not be in a relationship anymore. Like, please stop talking to me. Like, I'm not doing this. But my, I wasn't, like, there yet. I wasn't emotionally there yet. I wasn't emotionally able to do that. So instead of being like, hey, if I trust my boyfriend so little that I have to drug test him, I just shouldn't be with him. Instead of thinking that, I was like, well, I'm going to give him a drug test and I'm going to get the results and I'm going to know, like, it's like, it's a control thing. I've seen this happen with other friends and I guess the idea of a lie detector is just so crazy to me because, like, I don't actually know anyone in real life who has taken a significant other to get a lie detector test. You know, I've heard these stories, but I've never seen it in real life. And I, it's definitely something that, like, is for TV, right? Like, this is a TV thing. By the way, that flashback to Matt's lie detector test, I miss Matt so fucking much. Even when she was with Andrew, I missed Matt. Because like it or not, Matt was a monster, but Matt was incredible on television. Matt was so good. Matt was live for the applause, always wanted to be on camera, always wanted to be famous, and like he performed for us. And that I miss. I miss a guy that performs for the camera in Amber's life. Andrew never performed for the cameras the way that I wanted him to. Dimitri, I don't think can perform for the cameras the way that we want him to. Not, like, because part of it is that he can't express himself for the camera, and also he just seems, like, very chill and mellow. So I just, like, I just really miss Matt, I'll be honest. And that, like, nothing will ever be more iconic than Amber wearing that fucking jumpsuit, that gray jumpsuit with that top knot bun with the blonde hair, standing on the street screaming, you are garbage as the garbage truck like rolls behind her in the background and then she sat in the car with like the single tear running down her face and is like leo will really miss him (laughs) that was incredible that was incredible that whole lie detector episode was so fucking good or at least the amber segments i don't remember anything else that happened but that was a really iconic scene in teen mom history and yeah I can understand, I guess, like, the need 
what I'm saying is I know I started this off by saying I would tell a, a significant other, like, go fuck yourself if they asked me to take a lie detector test, but that's because I'm a healthy person and I am a person that doesn't have trust issues. I'm a person that is very secure in herself. I'm a person that uh, doesn't deal with a lot of jealousy. I Like, I have done the, because I've done the work on myself, not just like magically. And it's because I'm a person that will only strive to be in healthy relationships and I don't have any desire to be in a relationship that involves lie detector tests. And like I said, when I was in a relationship like that, I wasn't giving a drug test or like creating these tests or games or whatever to like trap my boyfriend because I wanted to actually do anything about it because the reality is is like if you don't trust someone enough that you have to give them drug tests, if you don't trust someone enough that you have to give them a lie detector test, if you don't trust somebody enough that you're like setting them up to catch them in lies and like excessively snooping through their phone and those type of things is that you would like the reality is is like you should just leave that relationship because it's it's obviously not a healthy situation for either of you and the only solution really is to leave that relationship and work on yourself and find somebody else who after you've worked on yourself find somebody who makes you feel secure in your relationship and makes you feel secure in yourself and I don't think Amber has that ability. And when you do these things, like give lie detector tests, because remember, Amber and Matt stayed together for a while after that lie detector test. When you give these lie detector tests and when you give these drug tests, I'm just speaking my my situation when I say drug tests. I, I don't mean to paint such a broad stroke that anybody that is drug testing their partner is like automatically should leave and it's unhealthy. I don't mean it like that. I mean like in a situation like I was in where... I knew my boyfriend was getting high in the back of my head. I just didn't want to accept it. But if you're in this situation, you should just leave. Like, just leave. Just leave because you're doing these things to exert control over an uncontrollable situation. And it's never going to work. And that's that's the rub of the toxic relationship, right? Is that, like, you're constantly looking for ways to, like, prove that your partner is the asshole that you know they are. But then once you prove it, it's like okay, but I'm not going to do anything. Now what? Because you're not going to do shit about it. So what's what was the point of doing all of that? It's like this show that you're putting on for your partner, but really for yourself. And I remember talking a lot about this when, like, when the Mackenzie and Ryan stuff happened when they were at the wedding, like, driving to the wedding high, and how could Mackenzie not know? And it's just like this state of denial that you live in that's very hard to communicate to somebody that hasn't been in like an abusive relationship like this and not just physically abusive because I wasn't in a physically abusive relationship but I was in a very emotionally and financially uh abusive relationship and it was like all-encompassing and when you are in this situation you just you just want to grab onto something that is going to make you feel better in the moment because like you know that you are not leaving them and you don't have the 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 self-love to leave them and Amber isn't necessarily in a toxic relationship. Like, she is the abuser and she is the toxic one. And she has convinced herself that it's everybody else's issue. So she cannot be alone and she's terrifying to be alone. And she won't be alone. So she picks these guys that she knows she can't trust because she doesn't know them. Like, she's probably been talking to this guy for, like, two months. And she's like... Well, I've just been burned in the past and I need to make sure that I'm with a guy that I can trust. And it's like, okay, the way to make sure that you're with a guy that you can trust is to meet a guy that lives near you and build a relationship with him. 
Like, no shit, you can't trust this guy that you just brought over from Europe and moved into your home and are now paying everything for. My favorite part of this segment was when Gary and Christina are talking about it, and Gary says that he doesn't want uh, Amber to do it because she got so mad at Matt last time, and she was screaming at him, and any domestic issue could really get her in trouble. I almost screamed when I heard that. I was like, because they know that Amber abuses her boyfriends. This is what, like, this is the rub, right? So we're supposed to believe that Gary and Christina are just supporting Amber and they love Amber and that this is what's best for Amber and this is what's best for their family. But here they are basically joking about the fact and being like, well, she shouldn't do that because remember how she treated Matt last time? And, like, any domestic situation could really get her in trouble. Like, they know Amber beats the shit out of her boyfriends. They know that to be true because she did it to Amber. I'm sure they saw it happen with Matt and they watched it happen with Andrew. So I don't know why they're, like... They're being like, oh, that's crazy. And then we're like, oh, hope she doesn't beat the shit out of Dimitri when she gets the results. (laughs) Amber takes him to get the test. He passes with flying cover colors, although he does have general nervous tension. And I'm like, "Uh, why wouldn't he have general nervous tension? He's getting a lie detector test done. And at... Afterwards, they're, like, back in Amber's house, and they're snuggling, and Amber's talking about how she's like, well, now I can trust you, and I just couldn't trust you because it's hard to accept that you could love me. And Dimitri is like, sometimes love is just love. (laughs) Because obviously, like, he's not fluent enough to express what he's trying. Like, I got what he was trying to say. I'm not making fun of Dimitri's uh, English because, like I said, Dimitri's from Belgium, right? So he probably speaks multiple languages because people in Belgium speak multiple languages. I speak one language. One language, plus I can speak gibberish from going to sleep boy camp. That's what I can do. That's the extent of my second language skills, is speaking gibberish. I remember really wanting to learn, um, what did they speak on Zoom? Ubby Dubby? And I, like, could not figure out Ubby Dubby at all. And then the first summer I was at sleepaway camp, I could not figure out gibberish at all. And then I came home and could just, I don't know, it just, like, came to me. So I can still do it a little bit. Like, what I said is I can speak gibberish, although not very well. I have to think about it when I say it. So I wanted to be able to speak ubby-dubby on Zoom, and I just could never figure it out. My friend Kim could do ubby-dubby so well. And so when I'm, like, kind of laughing about Dimitri's English, I hope you all understand that, like, this is not a laugh of me being like, ah, oh, that idiot, speak English. Like, no, opposite. It's just funny watching it in the moment because, like, Amber's probably one of the most uncultured people on earth. So it's just funny to think of her being in a relationship with, like, this European guy that doesn't speak English really well and can't even really communicate with her. There's just something very funny about it. And obviously what he's trying to say is, like, I don't need to explain why I love you. I just love you. There doesn't have to be a reason. And, oh, actually what he said, I wrote it down. Sometimes love, no explain. (laughs) And then Amber starts being like, well, when I think about how much you love me, then I think about the past guys I was with and why couldn't they love me? And then she's crying to her new boyfriend about the fact that her ex-boyfriends did not love her. Okay. Now, if I've ever seen something unhealthy in my life, it's Amber crying to her new boyfriend about why her ex-boyfriends didn't love her. If I was like, 
hey, Amber, I think you should go to a therapist, and I think you should bring the tape from this scene and show it to the therapist and start there. I think that would be a good place for you to start. (laughs) Oh, God. Amber. Amber, Amber. It's just, I just, first of all, I will say, though, I, I mean, more lie detector tests, honestly. The stakes are quite high, which is something that I like. Okay, let's wrap it up with poor Mackenzie, by the way. Thank you, everyone, for being so nice about my thoughts on Mackenzie last week. I got a really nice reaction, a lot of really nice DMs about it, and I appreciated it. I really genuinely worry for Mackenzie, and I'm glad that everybody felt that I was being sensitive enough while I was speaking about her because I would never want to come across as callous when talking about Mackenzie and her mom. And I think it's a very, very sensitive situation. And as I've said, I'm like genuinely worried about Mackenzie completing suicide and I am genuinely worried about what Mackenzie's future looks like I it, like I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic or like I like she just really really worries me and I want to make sure that I'm being as sensitive as possible in talking about her and if you ever feel like when I'm talking about Mackenzie and when I worry about her if you feel like I cross the line I encourage you to please send me a DM and let me know what your issue was with it and so I can better understand and better come across as sensitive to this because I think that this is one of the realest and kind of scariest situations that we've ever seen on Teen Mom when it comes to Mackenzie McKee and just like what I know about her I would say some Amber scenes are like this too and definitely like the Ryan stuff but there's just something to me that's like very freaky about freaky to me like being like I'm witnessing some somebody that really could harm herself in the future not freaky like her behavior is not freaky it's freaky for me to watch and I just want I hope my audience and so far it seems like it does my audience understands like the the sensitiveness of which I want to talk about this topic and that I really really care about Mackenzie and her future and that I really feel for her and that I have a lot of empathy for her and anybody that's in a situation similar to her. So it was definitely a lighter episode for Mackenzie this week. It's Jaxie's birthday and she like can't even think about planning a party because her mom is always such a big part of the parties and I totally get that. I think it's probably like February-ish and her mom passed at the beginning of December. So I can, I mean, I can definitely understand she's totally not in the like, well, life goes on, we must carry on phase of it yet. I think, and I hope eventually for her kid's sake that she will get there, but I definitely understand why she feels like she's not there yet. Uh, she decides, though, she has a, um, like, a live workout class. I do remember this happening where she basically got to, like, do a Body by Mac fitness class in person. I can't remember, like, what the organization was that was hiring her to do this, but do a Body by Mac in-person class, which, great. I question... Like, if she's going to keep doing this, like, do you have to be certified to, like, teach fitness classes? Like, does Mackenzie have any certifications? Because I'm not sure. But it's in Florida. It's right around Jaxie's birthday. So instead of having a party, she's going to send the boys to her dad's house or to Papa's house. I'm assuming that's her dad. But it could be Josh's parents. I don't know. And Josh and Mackenzie are going to go with Jaxie to Florida and, like, have her have a special day. And, and so instead of doing the birthday party, she's going to do that. I thought that was, 
a brilliant plan. I thought that made a lot of sense for them. It was nice. She's got to acknowledge Jaxie. Jaxie got to have a really special day. They were talking about Jaxie taking it really hard and that she's very emotional. And so I thought it was nice and special that they still were able to give Jaxie a special birthday without it being too hard on Mackenzie. I thought this was a really, a really, like, good idea on Mackenzie's sake. And she did a really good job with it. And I was proud of her for doing this. So... Mackenzie's talking to her friend before they go, and she's like, Josh just does not know how to deal with someone grieving. And I would go one step further to say that Josh doesn't seem to understand emotions really at all, because this goes way back. I think this goes way back. This is way, you know, Josh, I think this has always been the issue with Josh and Mackenzie, and the reality is is that Josh and Mackenzie will never be happy together. They just will never be happy together, because I don't think Josh is happy with her either. I think he feels very drained by her emotions which sounds kind of mean and cruel I guess like I don't mean to say that Mackenzie Mackenzie is draining Josh I think that's that's like if I was Mackenzie and I heard somebody say that to me about my husband I would feel really awful but I think the reality is is that some people are more emotionally equipped to deal with people that have a lot of emotions than others (laughs) And I think Mackenzie, as I said, is somebody with like peaks and valleys when it comes to emotions and she needs a partner that can handle that. And she deserves a partner that can handle that because I really, it sounds very negative, but I genuinely don't mean it to be so negative. I mean it to be like Mackenzie deserves to have a partner that isn't drained by her daring to show any sort of emotion. What I found interesting about Mackenzie and Josh in this episode is that I think Mackenzie and Josh... I think they really, like, like each other as people when they're getting along, and I would imagine they do very well on vacation together. They seemed so happy in this episode. They're having so much fun. She, whenever they do go away, I know they went on, like, a cruise or something last year, and she posted all these pictures, and they both looked so fucking happy in them. I think Josh and Mackenzie are very much a relationship that... At their base, they get along well. Like, the two of them, their personalities get along well when things are good. And if you go back and watch our 16 Pregnant episode, I talked about this. I remember being shocked at how well they got along. And I was like, wow, Josh and Mackenzie loved each other in their 16 and Pregnant. They didn't fight. It wasn't upsetting. They really just loved each other. And I do think that that is at the core that they are people that are friends and they get along. But I think the issue is that as soon as there is any sort of emotion, as soon as there are any sort of hardship, that Mackenzie like plummets and Josh completely shuts down and shuts off and sh- goes away and walks away. And so I think that on vacation, they're probably great. And like there may be like me where every time I go on vacation, I'm like, I'm going to move here. I love it here. I call it being on a vacation high, right? Where you like are in this place and you don't have any of the worries of your life and you're just so happy together. And I wouldn't be surprised if Josh McKenzie take these vacations and feel so invigorated by each other and so in love and they have sex and like really connect and like are so happy and free. And that's because I think they do get along. They do love each other. It's just that they're so bad for each other when it comes to actual life. (laughs) And when it comes to any actual stress or hardships or problems, and the reality is, is most of life is dealing with that shit. It's not being on vacation. There's a reason that it's called vacation. It's because it's not your life. So I, like, I thought it was interesting to see how happy they seemed in this episode Uh, I hope Mackenzie was happy with this episode. I know she's been very upset about the past episodes, and I hope for her mental health sake she is happy about this episode, but I think it's very obvious to me that 
when life is good for them, it's very good. And I can see why Mackenzie kind of is holding so tight onto Josh when I see this episode and see how happy they seem in this episode. And Mackenzie has, like, a huge smile on her face. Josh is laughing. I'm like, oh, this is what Mackenzie wants all the time. And I think Mackenzie and probably Josh, too, can accept that, like, their lows are too low. Does that make sense? That... They're good is good. And I, you know, I know that feeling of like, but when it's good, it's so good. But I think that the lows are just too, too, too low to outrank the highs of the vacation. And I feel like the high, there's no way the highs happen enough and the good is not good enough to compensate for like, it seems like it's 90% bad, their relationship. And 90% bad is really, really bad. Maybe even 80% bad, if I'm being generous. And 80% bad seems really, really bad. And I think what Mackenzie can't accept, probably because she's been with this guy since she was 14 years old, or however old Mackenzie was when she got with Josh, and I think she just doesn't realize that you can be in a relationship that gives you both. (laughs) That gives you support and makes you happy that you... I just think she doesn't realize that she has a whole life ahead of her. Mackenzie is so young. She's 25 years old. Oh, she's so young. She does not need to waste the rest of her life fighting with Josh and fighting for Josh. I think that's it. I pushed it to an hour. I made it over an hour. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your continued support. If you want to check me out on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. The link is in my Instagram bio. I've done a ton of episodes. I do an episode a week on Sister Wives. This week I did an episode with Troy on Trisha Paytas. We talked about Trisha and Shane for like two full hours. I also did episodes on... Last week I did Jesus Camp. I also did an episode on Mama June's From Not to Hot Family Crisis, which was crazy. And an episode on Colin Sav. I have some more YouTube topics coming out next week. I have one about Tana. (laughs) A whole one on Tana. I'm also doing, I believe, Wife Swap. I think that's what Tomlin and I are going to do. Another My Big Fat G Slur Wedding. Laguna Beach. The Hills. Polly Married and Dating. I have a ton of stuff coming up if you're interested in that. Please find me on Patreon. If not, Keep listening to Feathers in My Hair. Love you all. Thanks for the support. Have a good week. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.